0: How y'all doing this morning? It's always good to come back home. It's always good to come back home. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Cleon Harrison. I am the son that's across the other side of the town of Pastor Chris Williamson. And it is good to stand in the place of my father this day while he's out burying and had to go funeralize his mother yesterday. It's good to see some people I hadn't seen in a while. Russell, I hadn't seen in a minute. Of course, my sister Slania back there, the Davises, you all. And uh, John If Felicia doze off, I promise I wouldn't call out. So just nudge a little bit. And I want y'all to give a welcome to Brother Steve and his wife Ashley New for coming to support me today. That's them right there. Today, our text of scripture will be 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 10. It's a familiar text of scripture. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for once again allowing us to see a day that we haven't seen before. To have conversations we've never had before. To experience experiences we've never experienced before. And, Lord, to run in and meet people that we've never seen before. But, Lord, if we do all of this, Lord, we pray that we are consistently letting our light shine in all that we do. So, Father, you know my prayers that you don't let anything in me or about me hinder your word from going forth. You know my prayers you allow your word, Lord, to comfort those who need comforting, convict those that need convicting. Lord, but challenge us all to be better than who we are. So, Lord, we want to let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be with you. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You have your scripture? 2 Corinthians 12, chapter 7. We're coming from the NIV version. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Then I am strong. I want to come from the topic today, from the throne room to the thorn room. From the throne room, from the thorn room to the thorn room. People know me know I love movies. And I'm a buff. I love those real life stories. And one of the movies I love is Ray Charles. That's when Jamie Foxx plays Ray Charles and he played that role. Well, as a kid, Chris Sanders, the former Robert Seiver of the Titans, his son play Ray Charles as a little boy, little CJ. So as Ray Charles was going blind, his mother has told him, said, look, I'm not going to beat around the bush. You're going blind and there's nothing the doctors can do. And this is what we're going to do. So she was trying to say, you're going to have to start using your memory. You're going to have to start using your hands. So you're going to have to start maximizing using your other senses. So this one scene he's running in after he has started losing his sight and getting blind. He comes running into the house and he trips over the rocking chair. And he said, mommy, I need you. Mommy, help. Mommy, where are you? Mama, I need you. I need you. Mama, I need you. And his mother was sitting in the kitchen, and you could tell it was tearing her heart up. And as she started to move forward, she stopped because she knew that she wasn't going to help her son by always going to help him, bailing him out. She knew he needed to figure that out on his own. And he was saying, Mama, help me. He realized his mama wasn't coming. So what he did was he wiped his ears, wiped the tears from his eyes, and he all of a sudden, he stood up, and he started hearing the cowbells behind him ringing. He heard the pot over there that she had on the stove, the water whistling. He started hearing sounds of bells. He started hearing the sounds of horses, and he started hearing all these sounds. Then he started hearing a cricket that was going into the house, and then there was fire, he was going near, and he felt the heat, he moved up, so he was utilizing those senses that he hadn't really maximized or used before, and he put the cricket up to his ear, and his mother was sitting there, because she's trying to hold back her tears, and her crying out loud, and he said, and mommy, I hear you too, and that's what I think about when you think about our God, and Lord and Savior, our Father, There's a lot of times he wants to grow us and develop us in the circumstances and situations we get caught in. And it tears his heart up not to always come and snatch us out or to pick us up or to guide us. But he has to sit and let us figure some of the things out. When we think about the Apostle Paul, there is nobody in the Bible who has done more for the kingdom of God other than Jesus, with the exception of the Apostle Paul. In the Apostle Paul, we're talking about Paul is one of the apostles. What led up to this is Paul was on his second missionary journey when he went and spent time in Corinth. Well, when he went and spent time with Corinth, he spent 18 months there. And then 18 months, he started teaching them about the ways of Christ, Christ's standards, Christ's teachings. He was using the conduct, his character. He was displaying all the things that they needed to know while he was in Corinth. And he spent 18 months with them. And he loved them, he embraced them, to where he even looked at them as his children. So then Paul goes off to start his third missionary journey, but then it gets back to him that there is sexual immorality going on in the church. So Paul sends a letter so that they can address that immorality. Well, then they had some other questions. So then the Corinthian church sent letters to Paul saying, hey, we got Uh, divisions going on in the church. There's a lot of strife. There's cliques going on. And we got all these false apostles popping up. So they was wanting Paul to address these issues. So what Paul did was he sent a letter by Timothy and the down there to uh, address the issue. Well, as Paul was on his third missionary journey, Paul was kind of grieved because Timothy went back to him and said, Paul, your letter didn't do good. The thing still there hadn't changed. And so what Paul did, it pained him But he had to go down to Corinth again for a second time. So when Paul got down there, Paul told them that, you know, hey, you know, he was running to these false apostles. Now they're trying to discredit him. And now they're knocking his character. And what what hurt Paul the most is he spent 18 months investing in them. He spent 18 months teaching them. And in these 18 months, you let some jokers come up in here and don't even know God. Coming at trying to kind of change up what I've been teaching you, and now all of a sudden my character is what's in question. For 18 months, you saw nothing different in my character, my conduct, my dedication to Christ, the way I live, the way I talk, the way I supported. For 18 months, I've been consistent, and these rascals got here yesterday, and now you question my apostleship, you're questioning my walk, you're questioning my character, you're questioning what I say, and that hurt Paul deeply. And so what Paul did was you get to read now when we look at 2 Corinthians, this is Paul now responding and really probably Paul's most intimate letter because in this letter, Paul is just bearing it all out. Paul is now telling them that, you know, in this, he started to defend himself. So when we get to chapter 11 and 2 Corinthians, Paul's laying now, you know what, I'm a foolishly boast because I'm not supposed to boast. Because the only thing we should boast about is who we are in Christ and the things that we suffer for Christ. But I'm going to foolishly boast. Let me go ahead and break down my resume since you Roscos seem to forget who I am. He said, I've been beat 39, I've been beat five times with 39 lashes with a whip. I've been stoned three times. I've been left shipwrecked. I've been left for dead. I've been at sea, left overnight. I've been naked. I've been clothed. He said, when people need me, I'm the one that when someone is hurting I hurt when someone is struggling I struggle when you look at the things he said now if you try to be a true apostle that's what a true apostle was like we suffer for the sake of Christ these apostles today even some of these so-called modern day apostles you want the glamour side of it no it ain't about glamour it's about glorifying Christ and so when they sit up there and they doing it and they deeply hurt Paul then he had to break that down and he said and then he started talking in the third person he said, I will continue to foolishly boast. He said that there was a time 14 years ago that I was, there was a man caught up to the third heaven. And he said, he's seen things that he has yet to be able to utter. And as he's and he's breaking these things. He said, but then the Lord gave me a, a, send, a, gift, a messenger by Satan to send a thorn in my side to buffet me. He said it was a gift and a thorn. I'm glad he didn't say but a thorn. He said a gift and a thorn. And he said twice in verse 7, it says it twice. So that I might not become conceited. So that I might not become prideful. So that I might not be able to buff myself up. And so Paul said a thorn was given to me. And we know that it was a gift from God because it was to keep him from being prideful. It wasn't a gift from Satan. It may have been delivered by Satan, but it was sent by God. It may have been a gift from Satan, I mean a gift from God, because God wanted him to be proud. Satan wouldn't want him not to be prideful. Satan would want him to boast. Satan would want him to feel better about himself, to boost his own ego up. So we know it couldn't be for Satan because it was about helping Paul to maintain and be humble. It was a humbling thorn. What is the thorn? For years, preachers, and centuries, decades, they always try to figure out what the thorn is. Well, one of the things that Pastor Chris taught me when he was discipling me was that when you read something, there's a law that's called the law of first primary mention. Where else is that phrase used that in the Bible? Well, when you read Numbers thirty-three fifty-five, the thorn in the side is refers to when, it, for when God told Moses, when y'all go into the land of Canaan, what y'all need to do is drive out the inhabitants. So get them people gone because if they stay there, they are going to be a thorn in your side. In in Joshua 23, 13, when Joshua was telling them leaders, hey, God is driving them out. He's taking over the land. If you don't get these people out, there will be a a prick in your eye and a thorn in your side. In Judges 2, 3, the angel of the Lord came and said, you know what? God said that if you don't don't cohabitate with these people, don't accept their gods, y'all did it. Y'all was hard-headed. Y'all didn't listen to me. I'm going to leave these people here, and they're going to be a thorn in your side. So when we understand what a thorn in the side is, a thorn is those individuals that irritate you, the ones that oppose you, that come at you, and some even want to take your life. That's what thorn in your side is. And Paul said that he prayed three times, not once, not twice, but three times that God removed that thorn. And the three things we want to learn from our brother Paul today is that number one, we, you have to acknowledge the reality and the purpose of your struggle. You have to acknowledge the reality and purpose of your struggle. See, Paul knew that the purpose of his struggle was that so he don't become conceited, that he don't become prideful, that God keep him humble. A lot of times we miss the lesson we learn because we don't acknowledge the reality of our struggle. We sit there in denial. We don't admit that we're struggling. We deny what we're going through. You can have cancer. I'm not going to receive that. But the doctor just diagnosed you. What do you mean you're not going to receive it? Because you think it does something to your faith. See, denying and ignoring and acting like something don't resist is a faith that's foolishness. Real faith is accepting what you have and trusting God to remove it. Real faith is accepting what the doctor said and trusting God to be the one to heal you. See, we sit there and we deny so much because we think it brings our faith level down. Well, when you read the Bible from Genesis through Revelation, all of the strong leaders and all the people God used, they admitted and talked about their weaknesses, their lapses of faith, their struggles, their issues sometimes even with God. But yet, because we want to maintain this certain image of holy or super Christianity... Where we don't ever struggle, where we don't ever go through nothing, where we don't ever have to deal with nothing, where we don't have to face nothing. That's not true Christianity. God purposely will send us through things because he's going to have to grow us and take us to another level. God is never comfortable with us being comfortable. And what we do is we try to get to a place of comfort. God is never comfortable with us being comfortable. And one thing's gonna go together is comfortable and being a Christian and convenience in Christianity. Because one thing about God, He will always call you and put you in places. Sometimes it ain't even convenient. He wants to do it on His time. God will never ask our permission. <laughs> or oh, if it's a good time, when can we schedule it? Can we next week or maybe next month? God will never ask us. It just catch us off God and knock us off our tail, on our tails because that's how God is. And we have to acknowledge that Paul says the purpose. The purpose is he wants us to be better. He wants us to grow and he wants us to be strong. He needs us to go to another level. So when we look at the purpose of why we're going through certain things, we have to understand that when you're going through something, you can't dismiss it or ignore it. You have to admit and accept the facts. Like with someone in your relationship, if he leaves you, he's gone. Stop looking out the window for him to come back. Somebody here today, you can't worship because somebody left you a week ago. Don't let because they leave, don't let, let them take your joy. We have to understand that there's a purpose and the reason why we do the things that we do. Sometimes people are in your life for a season. Sometimes people may be in your life for a long season and sometimes people in your life because you chose them to be in your life, not because God put them in your life. And so when we look at those and we understand the purpose of why there's tension in certain relationships, why there's tension in certain areas we go through is because God is trying to stretch us and grow us and take us to another level. And we have to stop being so depressed and sad every time we go through things and wonder where God, where you at? God, you're not there. No, the Bible says that all things work out for the good of those who love Christ Jesus. Now, you may not understand why this happened. You may not understand why that went this way. But God will trust. You got to trust that God will work it out for your good. And so we're looking at, we understanding the purpose. Sometimes it may because we haven't tapped into what God has invested in us called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then dwells believers. And one thing I always hear people say, well, I'm not a patient person. I don't have peace about this. Well, if you are a believer and you have the Holy Spirit in you, the fruit, singular, of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. If you sit there and say, I'm not a patient person, it's not because it's not in you. It's because you hadn't focused and tried to develop that part of you. You may say you're somebody that just don't have peace. It's not that God hasn't given you peace in you and that he won't give you a peace that surpasses our understanding. It's you're not focused on that part. You're not focused on and developing that peaceful side that comes out of you. If you let somebody steal your joy, it's not that you don't have joy in you. It's because you haven't took time to focus on and have developed the joy in you so that in all circumstances, all situations, the joy of the Lord cannot be taken from you. We have those things. Gentleness. You could be gentle. Kindness. You could be kind. Self-control. You can have self-control. We got to stop lying as Christians and say, I'm not this. No, just say you haven't took time to develop that in you. Because it's in all of us. And once it's in all of us, we're able to do that. And God put that in us and He puts us in situations because He wants that to be developed in us. We have done, it's for our good. It reminds me of the story of this African king. His best friend, they did everything together. And even though it was his best friend, his best friend still honored him as king. And so they went out hunting one time. And the best friend loaded the guns up on the wagon. And so as the king got out, to get out to get the gun out, one of the guns went off and shot the king's thumb right off. And the one thing about the king's best friend is he was very optimistic. He always looked at things one way. He would always say, "No matter what the situation is, this is good. No matter what's going on, this is good." So when the king said, "Man, you loaded the guns," he said, "Yeah." He said, "Man, just shot my thumb off." His best friend said, "This is good." He said, "How is it good? My thumb said this ain't good." He said, King, this is good. He said, I'm going to show you how bad it is. He took and threw his best friend in prison. Had him in jail. And a year later, when the king is out hunting again, his thumb is healed. The king is out hunting again. He ran into a group of cannibals. Those are people that eat people. And so they captured the king and and, and tied him up because they were going to eat him later on that night. Well, when they come back in, they see that the king's thumb is missing. And they was very spiritual. They think that if you're holy, your body will all be put together. Any part of your body that's missing, you're not holy. So they let the king go, and they told. And they let the king go because his thumb was missing. And so he went to the prison and told his best friend. He said, "I apologize to you. You was right, man. I would have been eaten. I would have lost my life today if my thumb wasn't missing." And the man looked at the king and said, "This is good." He said, man, I don't sit here and take a year of your life away. What do you mean? This is good. He said, this is good. He said, I don't understand. How is it I don't took a a year of your life and you saying this is good? He said, because if you would have went out hunting today, I would have been with you. And he said, I got both thumbs. He said, this is good. Tell somebody it's all good. (laughs) Because God that works all things out for the good of those who love Christ Jesus. The second thing Paul wants us to understand is that when we pray that the purpose of prayer is not for us to will what we want, but for us to want what God wills. The purpose of prayer is not for us to will what we want, but for us to want what God wills. One of the things that we struggle with in prayer is that we don't get things the way we want. We ask God and we expect a lot of yeses from God. We want yes this from God, yes that. But God don't have as many yeses as we like. And sometimes when we pray to God, God don't always answer the prayers that we ask it. Think about Job. Job is sitting there and he's asking God a question. And for 40 chapters, Job and his friends is sitting there wondering why all this stuff is happening to Job. And they're questioning God. And so when God finally comes in there and take the mic, you're like, okay, God about to answer Job's question and tell him why this has happened to him. That Satan came and they made a bet and, they, and he's sitting there, he's trying to win a bet against Satan. And, they, and Job was just a wager that they made on there that he's going to stay dedicated. God didn't say none of that. God told Job, he started talking about, who do you think I am? Where was you when I did this? Where was you when I did that? Who are you to ask, question me? Because, see, we want God to answer us based on our want, but God will answer us based on our need. Think about Mary and Martha. When Lazarus died, they mad at Jesus, and they run into him and say, where were you? Where were you? He didn't answer them what they, what they wanted. He answered them on their need. Where is Lazarus? Didn't I tell you that this sickness will not end in death? And a lot of times, we want God to answer us on our wants, not on our needs. And so, but God needs to grow us in areas that's going to help us when we're in our thornful situations. When we have people around us, God needs to develop our character. And so, we could be struggling and going through something, and we could be like, God, you know, I'm at, you at this job, and the people on this job is getting on your nerves. You at the church, folk at the church getting on your nerves. You at the household, folk in your household getting on your nerves. You in your car by yourself, you getting on your nerves. It's like everybody... <laughs> It's getting on your nerves. And so what God will do is he will place us in a situation. And so I'm sitting there like, God, go ahead and change these folks around me. This is not a good predicament. And God's like, Cleon, I didn't put you in that predicament to change them. I put you in that predicament because I needed to work on you. Because, see, prayer changes things. But sometimes the thing in prayer that need changing is you. And so what God is saying, I got you in that situation because I need to work on you. You need to now have a new attitude. You need to be more patient. You may need to respond to people better. And the most effective way I can get the best out of you and develop you and polish you the way I need you to be is I have to put you in that predicament. And so when God put us in that predicament, it's kind of like the silversmith when he uh, polishing gold and, and uh, silver. There was a kid, he was a silversmith, and this kid was asking him, he said, Hey, um, how do you know? Why do you heat the silver? He said, Because there's a lot of impurities and dross on the silver and gold, so we have to heat it. So the little boy said, Well, why do you watch it? He said, Because if I don't, if it's too little fire, it'll just dry and stay on there. If it's too much fire, it'll melt and mess up the metal. So we have to, I gotta watch it because I have to have the right amount of fire on the metal so it can rise, make the uh, drops and the impurities rise up, and we wipe it off. It rise up, and we wipe it off. And somebody still think I'm talking about gold and impurities. Sometimes God has to put us in the right heated situations so that when our impure thoughts, our impure attitudes, our impure actions rise up, God has to wipe them away. But he has to have enough heat on us, not to where it will mess us up, but not low enough where we won't do nothing else about it. He has to have enough heat on us so that we can have a better attitude. So when God putting us in these situations, sometimes we have to accept and adapt the gospel of Patty LaBelle. I'm feeling good from my head to my shoes. I know where I'm going and I know what to do. I've tidied up my point of view because I got a new attitude. I'm in control. My worries are few. I got love like I never knew. Ooh, 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 ooh. I got a new attitude. <laughs> we have to know the reason why we're in prayer. Prayer is for us to be what God has called us to be. And God will put us in situations and he will put us around certain people that will challenge and grow us. Those people that's irritating you, if you always going around with a woe is me spirit, a woe is me attitude, why that happened to me? Why this happened to me? Why I got to go through this? You ain't no better than nobody else. You're going to keep going through it until you learn from it. When I played football, we would run a play. And if we didn't run the play again, the coach would make us run it again. And if we didn't run it right, the coach would make us run it again. If we didn't run it right, the coach would make us run it again. And we're like, coach, why we got to keep running the same play? He said, you're going to run it until you get it right. Even if you're here all night. And God keeps having us run things over again because we don't seem to want to get it right. When he says, pray for those who despitefully use you, but the person that's for to you, you, you want to speak bad about it, don't want nothing to do with them. Pray for those who mistreat you. Treat those, do justly to those who do you wrong. But what we do, they do us wrong, we're going to do them wrong. Because we are masters at getting back. And But when you understand what God wants us to be, and we have the mindset, Paul says, let this mind be in you. This ain't Christ Jesus. What did Christ Jesus do? He let vengeance be to who? The Father. The Father, the Bible says vengeance. is mine." says... So y'all read. So you know this. You know this. And so when we're understanding, we're trying to grow and develop to where God wants us to be. We have to understand that when God is taking us through situations, let's not sit up there and resist it. Let's go through it. Because the Bible says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Let's let that be proven true. We got to stop letting everything around us seem to be greater than the one that's in us. We have to be better at that. And finally, the last thing, because I don't want to keep you too long, is sufficient grace is sufficient. Sufficient grace is sufficient. Paul asked God three times to remove the stone. And God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient. Now, when you talk about sufficient grace, sufficient is a military term that means to protect, to ward off. He says, my grace is sufficient. But a lot of times, we don't think about God's grace being sufficient. I remember when my mother died and and I was back in probably about it was about 16 years ago. My mother died and I remember being mad at God. Not that he took my mama's life because it's his child. He could take her whenever he want to. He created her. He put her here. It's his child. I was upset with God because I felt God didn't give my mama any relief. See, my mama was a diabetic, and about a year or so after she had got out of prison, because some of you know that my mama had been out of prison most of my life. When she got out of prison, about a year or so later, she had her leg amputated. Well, her foot amputated. Then a year later, she had her leg amputated. Then she had her other leg amputated. And then she started losing her vision, and her vision was blurry. And I was praying to God, Lord, you know, Lord, help my mama vision. At least help her see better, help vision To be blurry, you know, I mean, we talk every Sunday about the Lord. You know, my mom would call my mom. She said, hey, what did Pastor Chris preach on today? What did he talk about? And, you know, did you go speak anywhere? And she's wanting to know all that. And I'm upset with God because to me, God, you didn't give my mama no relief. So I didn't want to be around nobody that talked about God. I didn't want to hear God's name. I avoided going around people that spoke about God. I remember walking in my house one day, my Bible was on the floor. I kicked my Bible under the church because I didn't even want to pick up my Bible. Because I was upset with God because he didn't give her any relief. Then about three weeks after my mama died, I ran into the lady who was like her sister, but one of her best friends, Annette Roberts. And she said, and I knew Annette was holy rolling. And there is everything about Jesus, and you better not say nothing bad about her Jesus. And I was like, oh, Lord, I do not want to hear this. So I come running to Anna, and the first thing out of Anna's mouth is, I miss your mom. I said, I do too. And she said, you know, what I really miss is the conversations we would have. She said, I would go over there on Sundays, most Sundays, or we would talk on the phone, and she would tell me about what she got out of the message today, because my mom would listen to T.D. Jakes on the TV or one of those preachers. I didn't know all that. And she said, and I would tell her what I got at the sermon, and we would pray together. Your mom would pray over me. I would pray over her. And I'm sitting there convicted because I'm thinking, God, you didn't have by eyesight, but God was giving her insight into him that I was even unaware of. And I'm upset with God for, and not trusting God that he know what's best. And so I'm there repenting on the spot asking God to forgive me for my foolishness because when he said his grace is sufficient, his grace is truly sufficient. And Paul is saying, Lord, remove. A lot of the times we want God to remove us out of certain situations. Remove us from this job. Remove us from this church. Remove us from these family. Remove us from this. Remove us from that. But God will tell you like he don't, Paul, my grace is sufficient. I don't. How am I going to change them if I can't even change you? They ain't even professed to know me. You have, and yet you want to leave. How can we grow and get, uh, get my word out to people when every time it's time for you to be around somebody that don't know you, that doesn't think like you, that's not in your little clique, you don't want nothing to do with them. That's not being a true believer. That's not walking out your true walk because Christianity isn't about you just getting in Bible studies. That's a part of it. But the Christianity is just, is about you being around those that's going to help invest and develop you. But you also need to be around strangers that you can let your light shine and you can invest and tell them. So when you say, God, remove this thorn from me, remove these people from me, God's going to tell you like he told Paul, no, my grace is sufficient. He said, Paul, I can't remove this from you. He said, Paul, with this thorn in your side, you've completed three missionary journeys. You planted churches all over Asia Minor. You speak in more languages, or the Bible says tongues, than anybody else. Paul, I can't take this from you. You're doing too good with it. How many can God, how many of us can God say that about? I can't remove this thorn from you. You're doing too good with it. You're doing too good with it. You're shining. Paul, we ain't never been this close. Paul, we ain't never talked this much. I remember you, Paul, before you came. That's why I had to keep the thorn in you. Because, Paul, when you commit to something, you commit to it. I can't, Paul, you're doing too good with it. Now, I know people say that God said no. He never said no. No is just what's implied. He just said my grace is sufficient. And when we think about those things, we're like, God, What is it that we're struggling with? When you think about things you may be dealing with, trust God. God will bring you out of it. Let me close with this. I already told y'all I like movies. One of the movies I like, because I also like comedy movies and silly stuff too, is how many of y'all seen Dr. Doolittle with Eddie Murphy? (laughs) Dr. Doolittle played by Eddie Murphy. Dr. Doolittle could do things for animals that nobody else could do. Dr. Doolittle started with an owl who had a stick in her wing and she came to Dr. Doolittle and she said hey you can hear us can you do me a favor and just remove this stick and he took the stick from her wing and she flew off into the, into the forest you know what she did she told all the other animals and they came so she went to testify what somebody had done for her she went to tell them about somebody who took something out of her that she couldn't take out of herself. And so they come Dr. Doolittle opened his door, and he see all those animals. And remember, Dr. Doolittle could do things for animals that nobody else could do. Right. See, there was a horse that couldn't see. Dr. Doolittle gave him his sight. There was a tiger that was committed suicide. Dr. Doolittle gave him new hope. There was two pigeons that was having relationship problems. Dr. Doolittle saved their marriage. There was a monkey that had a drinking problem. Dr. Doolittle dried that monkey out. There was a, 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 a chameleon that had self-esteem missions. Dr. Doolittle helped restore his self-esteem. Now, I don't know Dr. Doolittle, but I do know someone that's little he don't do, and that's Jesus Christ. Now there was a woman who had the 12-year issue of blood because her menstrual cycle wouldn't stop. Jesus put her in the menopause immediately. There was a man who's at the pool for 38 years. Jesus restored his legs immediately. There was a guy, a brother who, a little boy who was in the out there in the field, he had two pieces of catfish and five of those red lobster cheddar garlic biscuits, and Jesus turned it into an all-you-can-eat buffet. There was a woman whose son had died in nine. Jesus touched her and it went from a funeral to a family reunion. Now I don't know Dr. Doolittle, but I know no. Jesus Christ and there's little he don't do. So if you're sick, he can heal you. If you need peace of mind, he can give you peace. If you're sad, he could be your joy. If you're weak, he could be your strength. If you're depressed, he could be your happiness. If you're lonely, he could be your partner. He could be anything that you need to be because when folks walk out, Jesus is still right there. People gonna leave us, Jesus will not leave us. So when we think about that, don't just be like Paul. Tell everybody your thornful testimony.